You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, to kind of this section of Joseph's life, we're going to kind of wrap up today. There's a little bit more. We just got a couple more weeks in this series, Meant for Good, and then we'll be concluding. And kind of it's been an up and down. I'm kind of Josephed out a little bit. So I'm excited to wrap his story, at least the the tragedy of his story up today. Uh, On June 17th, 2015, a young man entered uh, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He was welcomed to a Wednesday night Bible study with open arms. At some point in the service, Dylan Roof opened fire, uh, horrifically uh, murdering nine folks in that Bible study. Motivated. Uh, and the nation was mourning once again and again shocked at the reality that it's not just murder, but that racism was alive and well uh, in America. But something else amazing happened. Just a few days later at his court appearance, his, the victims' uh, families were able to address this young man. And they explained how they were wounded and hurt and devastated. But then they made this remarkable statement. But we free we forgive you. How is that possible? When something so wicked, so raw, so fresh, such loss, how can they look in the eye of pure just and say, we forgive you? Forgiveness is a powerful thing, uh, a great thing. Uh, And today we're gonna talk about how does that happen? How can we, as followers of Jesus, forgive? something even as horrendous as that. Like Joseph, most of us will not be wounded and betrayed on the level of Joseph in our lives. Some of us may, but most of us will not. But yet he is going to, going to be reconciliation. And we wanna talk about that today as we unpack Genesis 45. Because these are common themes throughout the scripture. Forgiveness is a common theme. Reconciliation is a common theme. And for those who identify as followers of Jesus, that's a nice thing we do. It's not just recommended. It is commanded that we are to forgive. It is one of the essential marks of a follower of Jesus. It is a vital part of the Christian life. And I think when we have the kids, when they're little, you know, little Johnny smacks little Joe. And okay, Johnny, you say you're sorry. And then, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, hug them and, and say, say you love them. And, and so they hug them and say, and we're real good with it there. But then we and the wounds are seemingly more significant and deeper, whether it's abuse, abandonment, betrayal, fill in the blank. And then it becomes more challenging and complicated. And Joseph is a great model for us, we're gonna see today, because uh, not many of us, again, are gonna be as wounded as deeply as he was. So we're gonna walk through his story, uh, find some encouragement in his story, uh, and talk about the powerful idea of forgiveness and it's not one of those three keys to forgiving someone or four steps to forgiveness. It's, it's much more complex and deeper than that because wounds are real, right? And, and, and so we don't wanna just kind of make it such a simple, let's be equal, see. But we do wanna find encouragement and why is it significant and how can we move, start moving on the process of forgiveness because the followers of Jesus are to be a forgiving people. So we'll just look at a couple we unpack his story. Let me give you a working definition just off the bat for what is forgiveness, right? And I found this one and I, and I think it's a good one. 
that forgiveness is a conscious decision on the part of the offended party to release the offender, penalty and guilt of an offense committed. I think the key word here is release. It's to release. The opposite of release is what? Hold on. It's to dig in. It's to not let. I think it's important up front to say this. When we're talking about forgiveness, we're not talking about, uh, well, we should never call the cops or if there's a life in danger or someone's in danger of physical harm that we should never, no. Justice needs to be, and Roof's victims uh, need to have justice uh, for, for their loss. We're not talking about never calling the cops, oh yeah, just forgive and forget. We're not talking about that. But the idea is that I am giving up the right to personally go get, to go get back against the offender. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that we just immediately, our full trust is restored always. It, it's been well said that we're quick to forgive but slow to trust. If you is stealing from you, you can release them from that but that doesn't mean you're gonna give them the combo of the safe and the keys to the cash register. Oh, all's forgiven. There's, trust is something that's built over time. So it's important for us to say, just because we are to be forgiven, justice is not served, that consequences are not there, that cops should not sometimes be called. Uh, but the reality is this. When I say forgiveness, that we're to forgive, probably 50% or more of the this, you have a name that pops into your mind. There is a person, there is a group of people, there is something that you immediately go to and you're like, and, and Joseph is gonna be the model for us that he is going to release his brothers. He's not gonna hold a grudge. He actually is gonna do what the New Testament says. He's gonna give a blessing instead, right? That's what he is. So remember Joseph, now he was the favorite son. He was the hated brother. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. And after 22 years of just up and down and brokenness, he finds himself in charge of really all of the, the most powerful kingdom in the world. He saves Egypt and he saves his, he's gonna save his family who he's finally reunited with. They don't know it's him yet. They're about to find out, but they don't know it's him. And he has put them through a series of tests. He's recreated the same opportunities they had with him to, to sell off Benjamin, to, to reject to their father and his love and all those things. And, and the, the brothers have shown that there's a newness in their life, that, that there's been a repentance, right? Uh, and all this is new. He left off last week. Good old Benjamin, it was a setup. The magic Harry Potter cup was put in Benjamin's sack, right? And he doesn't know it. And so uh, Joseph is threatening to enslave him. And Judah, in an amazing way, lays down his life and says, I will take his place. I will take Benjamin's place. I love my dad. I love my brother. I cannot let this happen, right? And that's where we left off, and that's where chapter 45 picks up the story, and we'll come back and talk about this idea of forgiveness. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph to his brothers. So he kicks all the Egyptians out of the room. And you gotta put yourself in the sandals of his brothers. They are shaking in their sandals, right? This guy, and he is super mad about his Harry Potter cup. 
right? What is going to happen? Our entire future now, Judah has made this great appeal and he's gonna lay down his life and now the verdict is coming and it's in the hands of this powerful guy so mad, he throws everybody out of the room and they don't know what's coming, right? They have no clue what is coming and then all of a sudden something crazy happens. He busts out into tears, weeping so loud that all the Egyptians hear it. Even Pharaoh hears him. They're like, what is going on in there? And again, if the brothers were scared then, they are probably freaking out now because this guy is so mad, he is crying. The world is happening, right? And then the next thing they hear through blubbering and red face and tears is Ani Yosef. M. Joseph, is my brother still, is my father still alive? And, and they're thinking, did he just speak our language? Did he the name Joseph? They never told him the name of their brother that was lost. They kept saying, one is gone, one is dead. They never said the name. And he says, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. But they couldn't answer him. They were dismayed. The word means dumbfounded, speechless. It is a collective gasp. And they they can't talk. In fact, they're not even going to talk for several minutes. 15, they are speechless. Because it's bad enough if they're standing before the most powerful man in the world and their lives are in jeopardy because they stole the cup. But now, if this is true, the one who is going to, is the one we sold and betrayed. And now they're really terrified and they have no words. But Joseph in comfort says, come near to me, draw near. And you gotta think they're like, who's going first? I mean, are they crawling forward towards their brother? He says, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. It's me, it's really the guard, I got the bald head, I don't look the same, it's been 22 years, but it's really me. It's okay, don't be afraid. And and it reminds me, it's such a picture of what the Lord Jesus is gonna do 2,000 years later. Remember, the disciples think he's really alive, just like Joseph's brothers think he's dead, but he's really alive, and he appears to them in the upper room, and they start freaking out because they think he's a ghost. And what does he say? Come near, it's okay. Look at me, look at my hands. Look at my it's okay. So Joseph's saying, it's me, it's okay. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me, we're gonna come back to that phrase, he's gonna, he's gonna mention it three times. God sent me, God sent me. He sent me to before you to preserve your life. But notice this in this, he doesn't, he doesn't marginalize their sin, right? He doesn't, he doesn't downplay it, he mentions it, right? It's not the, the, downplaying of sin, it's the neutralizing of it. But they've already repented, they've already turned, so why should we belabor the point? That's the idea, right? They, he, they, they've already dealt with it, so it's a done deal. But he doesn't say, it doesn't happen. He just says, look, God sent me before you. God did this. And so verse six, he continues. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, there are five more years in which there'll be neither plowing nor harvest. God said, again, to you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. This deal's just starting. 
There's five more years, but God sent me so that I could save you, so that I could provide for you, so that I could bless you. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 1. Sent him beforehand so that he would preserve their life. Continue, verse nine. Uh, uh, verse eight, so it was not you, so it was not you who sent me, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all of you have do not come to poverty, right? So he says, go get, go get the fam. We're, we're gonna, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide. Goshen was the nicest place in the land. He's gonna provide them the, the lakefront, riverfront property of Goshen and, and they're gonna be saved from this famine. Verse 12, and now your eyes see and the eyes see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all of you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers on them. And after this, they finally speak up. They talk with him. After he's affirmed his love for them, after they are confident it is him, uh, they're able to finally be reconciled because Joseph has released joy. That's the thing we miss. Forgiveness and reconciliation brings joy. Right? There's all, nothing but joy here. These are tears of joy, not tears of sorrow. That's, that's what forgiveness brings. Pharaoh's perspective, real quick. When, this, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and give you the best of the land of Egypt. And there you shall eat the fat of the land. He says, go get the U-Haul, go get dad, go get everybody, bring them back, right? They can live here. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take your wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your Father and come, have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Better eight, it says, just tell them to leave their stuff and we'll get them new stuff. Just go get them and bring them here. And this is an interesting point, I think. Because not only does it show that there's a high regard for Joseph, but I think there's something else here too. It shows that Joseph never told Pharaoh what his brothers did to him. Because the Egyptians already were not fond they were nasty, especially shepherds. We're gonna see that in the next couple weeks. If Joseph had told Pharaoh, my brothers did this, my, do you think he would be so willing to bless them and welcome them into the land? Unlikely. It also explains why Joseph out when he confronts his brothers and says, I am Joseph. Because this is a family deal. And there's no reason for anyone outside the family to know all the stuff that goes on in the family. I think this is great for us when we're talking about forgiveness. Because what we tend to do when someone wrongs us is do what? We go recruit. You wouldn't believe what the boss did to me today. You wouldn't believe what my brother did. You wouldn't believe what that teacher did. And we recruit and we recruit and we badmouth and we talk and we talk and we now have built factions. Keeps his mouth shut. We don't even have any indication he ever got back at Potiphar's wife, that cupbearer that forgot him for two years. You think he still had a job? I mean, my first day in office, I'd be like, you gone. But, but this is a guy things to his family. He follows Matthew 18. Your brother sins? Go to your best friend and tell him so they can tell their best friend and put it on Facebook. No. Your brother sins? Go to your brother. 
And if you, if he turns, then you've won your brother. That's what he does. It's, it's a great advice for us. Continue, they leave, verse 21. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey. To each, all of them, he gave a chance. Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Why he does this, I don't know. Maybe he loves his brother, he's just blessing him. Maybe he's still testing his brothers to see if they're still mad. Maybe it's just life lesson. Some people get more. Some people get to be six foot eight. Some people get to be five foot six. All right, some people get to be great athletes. Some people get to be not great athletes. Some people are intelligent. Some people went to the citadel. All right, whatever. Life's not fair and it's full of distinctions and maybe it's just one of those, I don't know, but he gives more to Benjamin, but it doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provisions for his father. Sent his brother away. And and notice he makes this statement, y'all don't fight on the way. Why would he say that? Multiple reasons, but he knows his brothers, right? He He knows the propensity of the brothers get at each other like all brothers. But here's, here's the thing you gotta remember, and it's not in the text, but it has to, have, has to happen. At some point, someone's gonna have to tell dad what happened. Because they're gonna go say, and his dad's gonna say, what? How did that happen? We don't know. Someone's gonna have to say, dad, uh, let me tell you what happened 22 years ago. I can tell you, they're not, they're not like, I want to tell dad. I want to, oh, can I tell dad? Can, please let me tell dad that we sold him. I bet what's going to happen is, it was Judah's idea, let Judah tell him. And you know, Reuben, he already has done this. Well, I told y'all not to do that, so I ain't doing that. Probably going to be this debate on who gets to tell dad that we lied to him for 22 years and knew that Joseph was alive and, and, and really sold him off, his favorite son. And so it's, it's probably good counsel. Hey, y'all, the past is the past. This is a good counsel for us forgiven, someone's released, then why are you bringing it up again? It's done. You can't change the past. You can't change what happened 22 years ago, can you? So why are we bringing it up? You know, last year, well, you remember on that one day that you woke up at three in the morning and were able to say this to me? No, no, right? It's done. And says, just don't fight. Go get dad. Bring him back here. So they do, 25. And they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, their father, Jacob, and told him, Joseph is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he didn't believe him. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of their father of Jacob revived. Well, now let's notice he's Israel again. He said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is alive. I will go and see him before I die. And next week we'll get to see dad and son reunited after this, this time of 22, 23 years. Back to the idea of forgiveness. How is Joseph, and by way of application, how, how can we forgive like this? Something so big. Um, a couple ideas and thoughts, not only from this narrative, but even scripture, I think are helpful for us to think through and, and maybe come back and, and think about them this week. And, and if you have that name in the back of your mind, when I say forgive, then you're like, no. Uh, these would be something to think through. Uh, in the next couple days. I think the start is this. Joseph is able to forgive. And we, by way of application, our ability to forgive is linked to our attitude. 
There, there's an attitude in Joseph that I think is helpful for us. Actually, there's two of them, right? And the first is this. His, he, he does not believe that it's all about him. Able to release someone when you have been wronged. And it, we're not saying, illegit- we're talking about legitimate pain and hurt and, and wounds. You will, if you are, if think it's all about you, you will never release. If ever for it to be all about Joseph, it's now. Because if this was me, I would have a little recap session. I'd be like, all right, just so we remember, y'all hated me. You were jealous of me. Why? Because dad liked me more and because both things which I had no control over, but you sold me. You know what it's like to be sold? You don't know what it's like to be sold. Do you know what it's like to go to a place and have to, to be in a new land where I know nobody? I don't speak the language. I show up at work. Everyone hates me. They despise me. That's like, do you know what it's like to be thrown in jail for something you didn't do, for being righteous? You do now because I did it to you, but you only said three days. I was there years. And while y'all were off having families and sleeping in nice blankets under the comforters on a hard floor, eating stale bread, drinking nasty water, while you're killing the fattened calf. Are you, do we all remember that? See, that's the conversation I might've had, right? Because it would be about me, but you don't. See, if you're all about you, you will not release. Because the goal when it's all about you is to make sure everybody knows how bad you have had it. I just wanna make sure you know how bad you've hurt. I just want you to experience a little bit. And even then, that's not enough sometimes. I want you to know, but that may not be enough because I, I, need, I need to do more. So I'm never gonna let you forget. I'm gonna bring it up, I'm gonna bring it up, I'm gonna bring it up. But see, us, we won't release. And I'll tell you what else, we're the one who suffers. Because it's not the offender who's usually the one turning bitter, it's the offendee, right? It's the one who's been hurt. Harboring bitterness and you're harboring anger and you just won't let it go. You're the one who's waking up at night at two in the morning mad, not them. So we release, we forgive because it's not a thing being all about us does it has, makes us have a tendency to think that we're better, doesn't it? Because I would never have sold you and I would never have betrayed you and I would never lie to dad like that and I would never do that thing that you did because I'm better. And what we've done in that moment is judge and we have basically said, my sin is not as bad as your sin. And the irony of that is it is actually, it's worse. And if you want proof, Jesus tells a parable about two men who go up to the temple who pray a tax collector, and the Pharisee looks over at the tax collector and says, I am thankful that I am not nasty like this dude. He steals, he lies, he dishonors his parents, he hates his nation. I am glad that I am not nasty like him. He goes home righteous, he does not. Wait, but he doesn't do any of those things. Yes, but his arrogance keeps him from forgiveness. And when we think we're better, we've put ourselves as judge and our arrogance keeps us from forgiveness. And another reason, if if it's all about us, we won't forgive, is because ultimately, forgiveness costs, doesn't it? It's costly. For the one who is releasing, that means you're choosing to the pain and the loss caused by someone else, which is exactly what Joseph's doing. Last week, Judah's offering his life and laying it down. This week, it's Joseph. He's laying down his rights brothers and he's absorbing the loss and if you're all about your rights 
and getting what's right for you and making sure we're even, you won't release. And so it's an, it's a, it starts with our attitude. It's not about us. It starts with, a, it is about our God. All right, and this is why Ephesians remind us. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away, along with malice. And, and someone was like, I just, can I get a little bit of anger? Little. That's why it says, let all, all. And then the flip side is, there's a contrast there, but be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why or how? The word in the Greek means ju- is just as, in the same way, in the same way God in Christ forgave you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, hey, the same way that God released you from yours, that, that's, that's what you do. It's bigger than just us. It's, big, it's, it's about what God has done. That's, that's the point. C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us, right? It's bigger than us. Joseph gets that it's bigger than us. His attitude is me. But also the question would be, well, how do I get an attitude that's not about me? The second thing he does is he trusts the sovereignty of God. And that sounds very churchy, I know, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. He trusts that God is doing, that God is, is still in control. Three times I showed you in verse 45, in chapter 45, he says, God sent me, God sent me. God sent me. I thought your brother sent you. Yeah, they did in a way, but ultimately God was overriding that decision and doing and getting him to Egypt. And so the idea of God's sovereignty, and we could talk about this for days, but the idea is that God is infinitely creative and he can even use poor choices and, and brokenness to accomplish his perfect will. And how that works and why that works I have no clue. And I don't even know if we get to heaven, we're gonna grasp it all. I really, really don't. That's just one of those mysteries like, send them on a camel? I mean, without all this, right? But, but God uses brokenness. And this is why we go back to what Romans eight twenty eight says, is that all things work together for those who love God. I, we say that, but Joseph gets that idea. I don't know how he gets it because his dad didn't teach it to him. He just grasps the idea that this is a God thing, that God is in control. And think about this. I mean, this, this narrative, this story, Joseph's brother's sin ultimately leads to our salvation. Because if they don't sell Joseph to Egypt, they all live in Canaan. And then when the famine hits, what happens? They either all starve and die of starvation. And if, if they die of starvation, if there's no Israel, if there's no Judah, there's no King David, if there's no King David, line of Messiah. And even if they do survive the famine somehow, they, they are so, he has to get them out of Canaan because the wickedness of the Canaanites, they were gonna integrate themselves. So he has to remove them and put them in Egypt in slavery one with the Canaanite nations. If they stay there, there's no nation Israel, no nation Israel, no Judah, no Judah, no King David, no King David, no Messiah. Ultimately, God is overriding these brothers' decision to sell him, betray him, and yet he's still you and I. See, that's the, that's the bigness of God's plan and sovereignty, and Joseph gets it. And he takes their sin, he fulfills what he promised, 
way back in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The scepter would not depart from Judah, right? That there would be a, a rod from Jesse, born in Bethlehem, king of the universe. And this is why uh, we trust in the sovereignty. Jesus says to the disciples, all authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All of it. It's his. He is sovereign. Uh, and he, he even affirms this to Pilate before Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority to, to let you go? He says, he's respectful, but he says, any authority you have comes from the Father. You got nothing that wasn't given to you. His, he's the authority. This is why Paul, while he's in prison, can say, look, I don't wanna be in prison, but you can't believe what God is doing while I'm in prison. I'd rather be out, I'd rather be free, but God is winning people in Caesar's household. God is doing all these things. I trust his goodness, I trust his sovereignty. I did nothing wrong, here I am, but I trust something bigger. Joseph trusts the sovereignty of God and he trusts that God can work out good even from this. And that's his attitude. It's not about him, it is about God. Those are, those are tough things to grasp, tougher this is, the, this is the next two ideas. Because we can grasp that and say, fine, fix my attitude. God's good, God is sovereign. But what about them? What about that dude that did this to me? What about, what, what's gonna happen to them? I'll fix my, forgive. What about them, right? And that, that's what we're thinking. We may not be saying it, but that's what we're thinking. The other person. Let me give you two ideas for that. One idea would be for those who are followers of Christ and the others would be for those who are not. Uh, for, for those who are followers of Christ, uh, how do we, well, we embrace God's past judgment? What do I mean by that? Well, the scriptures teach that if a person is a follower of Jesus, their sin was paid for on the cross. That, that's, that's what the scripture teaches. Um, Colossians says, you were dead in your trespasses, uncircumcised in your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us as all our trespasses. How? He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal side. He nailed it to the cross. And we love that verse when it comes to us, don't we? Amen. Hallelujah. My sin is nailed to the cross. Isn't that great? But when it comes to our spouse's sin, that's another story. I'm thankful, Lord, and that you took my, my, my deal, but I need to deal with hers. I need to deal with the kids. I need to deal with my boss. We're not so excited about the fact that the penalty of someone else's sin has been paid for. Our sin, but my neighbor, my boss, my parents, I wanna hold them accountable. I wanna deal with them. Which again is why C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something, to do, right? Because I, I want my forgiveness, but I don't, want to, I don't want them. I need to talk about that. I need to handle that. I need to control that situation. And what Jesus would say is, no, you need to let that go. Release, right? And if that person has wounded and is a believer, right? and that's, that's where it's hard. It's like, I can't believe they say, they go to church. I know what church they go to. And I can't believe they did that to my business. I can't believe they did that to thy family. I can't and that's where it's difficult. But what you have to grasp is that that person has already been forgiven at the cross. You say, well, they're gonna get away with it. It's not just. No, it actually, justice 
been carried out. Jesus bore the weight of their sin just like he bore the weight of yours. That doesn't mean there's not gonna be consequences. There may be. Jacob is facing consequences. But if they're a Christian, their sin has already been paid for. And, and the saying, they're gonna get away with it. He's saying, no, my son was tortured and nailed to a cross for them, just like for you. And since there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then that means I have more at stake than you do and you need to release because I, that's a hard thing to do. But that's what it means to embrace the justice that God poured out on his own son. And this is why Jesus tells the parable of the man who owed 10,000 talents, an insurmountable trillions of dollars in American currency. You could never pay it off. One talent is like 20 years uh, salary, right? He owes 10,000 and he can never pay it back. And the king forgives, goes off and he finds a dude that owes him 90 days worth of salary. And he says, throws him in jail. And he says, you will not get out until you pay. And, and the idea is you've been forgiven trillions. And so if someone owes you a couple grand, what are you gonna do? That's the idea. That, that, that's the motivation that Jesus has paid for all of us. And so we are to release. What about the person, no Christ? About that dad who left when you were five or that abuser, maybe he's in prison, maybe he got off in a technicality. The, the guy who stole from your business but they never had enough evidence but you know he stole your, what about that guy? How do I deal with that, right? You do this, you wait for God's future judgment his future justice. Romans says this, beloved, never avenge yourselves, leave it of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, I'll deal with it, right? This is maybe the hardest, is leaving room for God to work. That you would say, God, you're gonna deal with that. Our tendency is like, when are you gonna deal with it, God? When? Fine, you deal with it. When are you gonna deal with it? Next week, next month? And God's saying, we're not, we're not going there. I don't answer to you about the how. You just need to know that I will deal with it when it's time. I will handle it. You need to take your hands off and release. Because here's the terrifying reality. Here's what the scripture teaches. This is, this is a stark reminder, but it's an important reminder. The scripture is clear about. If a person lives their entire life and never repents of their sin and puts their faith in Christ, then they will pay for their sin forever and ever in a terrifying, horrendous place called the lake of fire, in agony forever. According to, they will be judged by Jesus himself according to their deeds, their works, and after they've been paying for their sin, apart from the presence of God as objects of his wrath, in 10 billion years, they will have no less time to pay for what they've done. And when we think that, I can release. And actually what that truth should do to our soul is, is actually show some compassion. Like, oh, that's, that's what the wrath of God looks like? I don't know. I just wanted a little jail time. I just wanted my money back. I just wanted, and I'm sorry. That's the reality of what scripture teaches. And it should motivate us to be what the church is supposed to be, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we have the 
of reconciliation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And what did he do? He gave us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. It is our job to bridge the gap now and to move towards people our own deal or to forgive. That is the job that Christ has given us. The next verse, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's so God was making an appeal through us. That you are, the, the appeal of God to be reconciled comes through his church. Of the wrath that is to come. And so we have more reason to move towards people because of that. And so how do we handle those, uh, those out there, the what about them? We trust God's and we trust God's future justice. We wait for it. But in the meantime, we are ambassadors. We are ministry of reconciliation. That is what we do. Which I think if, if ever that was needed in America, church, I think it's today. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? They shall become called sons and daughters of God. And, and what the big picture of this is, is for us is this. We do not wanna work through our lives find ourselves at the end of our life and we have just let a, left a train wreck of unresolved conflict and relationships that we've blown up and gone from this to this to this to this to this. That, that's not the way we wanna live. Trail of just estranged folks in our lives, right? We need to move towards people as far as it's up to you that you be at peace. And so we got, you know, all sorts of applications, but maybe, maybe you're the one who needs today or make the phone call today or go back to that office and say, I was wrong. Maybe that's, maybe, you know, there's somebody that name you're thinking is not the person that hurt you. It's the person you hurt, that you abandoned, that you lied about. The idea would be, how can you go and as best as you can make peace, make peace. But then the rest of us, that name is someone who wounded us. And how can you begin to release? How can you begin deal with that and you be at peace, right? That's the idea because God in Christ has forgiven you. Most of us will never be as wounded as Joseph was by his brothers. And why? His attitude is that it's not about me and I trust the sovereignty of God. That's where we need to be because remember, none of us will ever be as, we will never be as wounded or wound so as much as we have wounded Jesus, not even close. We nailed him to the cross and he says, I forgive you. Now you go and do likewise. That is a mark of a follower of God. That is a mark of the Christian church. It is the mark of people who own the ministry of reconciliation. And so that's what we pray for us, not about us, trusting the sovereignty of God, embracing the justice of God in the past on the cross future justice of God that he will do in his time. Let me pray we'll sing. Father, I just pray for those in the room, for those who are on the screen, watching through wherever, maybe even downloading later in the week, that and there's pain and there's suffering and they're real and you know it and you, you understand because you were wounded, you were abandoned by those who loved you loved so you can relate and you can draw near to them in this, in this moment. But I just pray on the basis of what you have done for us, even the example of Joseph, who ultimately pictures you, uh, that you would empower us to begin to release so that there's not, uh, so there's joy.
Just like with Joseph and his brothers, there's joy, there's rejoicing and there's tears and then there's prosperity and life and blessing for the rest of their time. That's what you want. You want us to live in peace with all men. So help us to do that. It's based in you, it's based on what you have done. I pray you would give strength to those who need to go back to someone today and say, I was wrong. And I pray that you would give the ability to release the person that comes to them. Will you forgive me? Wherever we're at, Lord, I pray your spirit would enable us to do this. For Christ's name's sake, I pray.